Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Why do so many businesses struggle while others seem to explode overnight? Do you wish you had the secret to this type of exponential growth? Now, I've scaled more than 20 businesses to over $100 million, and it's not just luck. In my new book with Mark Tim, Mentor to Millions, you'll learn the repeatable framework I use in all my business ventures for massive success. Order at KevinMentor.com and get over $1,000 in bonuses. Head to KevinMentor.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is your host, Seth Green. Today, I have the good fortune to be interviewing Lee Sobieski, a partner at Burger Burger and Sobieski. He's been practicing law since 2011. He is His area of concentration is immigration law. We're going to talk about all things legal and immigration today. Lee, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Um, our pleasure. Let's go back in time a little bit. What inspired you to go to law school? Uh, well, actually, I didn't start originally planning going to law school. I actually started in computer engineering. Oh, my but, goodness. Uh, yeah, I know. It's a bit of a bit of a fastball there, but um, then I decided to change it up a little bit. I, I did that for a year and it just made absolutely no sense to me. So I just kind of started reorganizing, looking into new priorities and kind of just looked into what things I like doing. And I liked a good old fashioned argument. So I kind of started looking into things like the law and eventually it just stuck and I decided to go with it. So. All right. That's a non-traditional path to the legal profession, of course. Uh, so let's dive in a little deeper when did you have when you decided you wanted to go to law school had you already thought about what type of lawyer you wanted to be not at all and even though i do love immigration law i'll be perfectly honest with you when i graduated from law school i didn't even realize immigration law was really an area that people practiced in so i actually uh i actually went to school with my concentration in intellectual property but living in buffalo and not wanting to move there wasn't really much of that around here so i worked in real estate for a little bit and eventually found my way into immigration law Okay. What, um, what attracted you to immigration law? I just, for one thing, I like that it's federal. It's not something where you have to deal with conflict of laws, which is a legal issue between states, because even though it's very complicated, it is pretty much straightforward across the board. Every now and then it's not necessarily straightforward. You're dealing with immigration courts and the different circuits, but in terms of like petitions you file, things like that, it's pretty much straightforward because it's all under one law. Like I live and practice in Buffalo. And if I wanted to file for somebody who lived in Colorado tomorrow, I could because it's all under the federal statute. Okay. So that gives you, you like that it's federal. You like that you could help someone anywhere. Um, what about the area of immigration itself? appeals to you? Why do you love what you do every day? I love what I do because immigration to me is one of the few areas of law where you can genuinely help somebody. There are a lot of people that are completely helpless, that just don't know where to turn, don't know how to turn. And immigration is one of the few areas of law where even though you're considered the defense, you're not guaranteed legal counsel if you're in court. 
if you can afford legal counsel, you can retain legal counsel, but it's not like a standard criminal proceeding where you're actually provided a defender by the state. If you cannot afford an attorney, you do not get an attorney in immigration law. Actually, I just saw that Kirsten Gillibrand actually proposed something to potentially change that. But obviously it's not law yet, so it's a real distance away. But I can honestly say that in my time, especially in the court stuff, that I have helped a lot of people who would have otherwise had no way of helping themselves and who frankly deserve to be in this country and were just in, you know, really bad straits, I guess you could say. All right, so let's unpack that a little bit. So what, for our folks who are, aren't aware, and we might have a stereotype and image in our head, what does an immigration attorney do? How do you help folks? Well, there's different kinds of things you can do in immigration. It's mainly broken down into a couple, broken down a couple different ways. First off, there's two types of immigration in terms of people trying to get green cards. There's family-based immigration and there's employment-based immigration. Employment-based immigration is basically if you're here on a work visa or if you just want to come here eventually on a green card through an employer, that's a little bit more simplistic. Family-based is if you have a relative in the United States who's either a U.S. citizen or a permanent resident, which is just a synonym for a green card holder. And that's a lot of times where, you know, the court comes into play or things like that. But those are the two general ways that you can actually obtain a green card in the U.S. However, we also do applications for U.S. citizenship. We do all sorts of, there's two different kinds of visas. There's non-immigrant visas and there's immigrant visas. Non-immigrant visas are for people who only want to come here temporarily. Those being things like work visas or visitor visas. Whereas an immigrant visa is if you're applying from overseas to come here with a green card. So those are probably the two best ways I can just generally break down immigration as a whole. Absolutely. And what are you finding are some of the biggest mistakes people make when dealing with immigration type issues? I mean, what, what are the things you get called in, for example, to fix? Well, a lot of people just tend to think that immigration, either because they're just not properly educated on it, or just because, you know, they occasionally have a friend who got through the pro the issue, you know, they got through everything without any real issue. And so they just assume it's easy. They go forward, they put applications in, and sometimes they come to you with very severe problems that in some cases can't be fixed. I have a lot of cases of people who have tried to get U.S. citizenship and who unfortunately have gone to the interview and whether they came here as refugees or whatever status they came in, they stated something when they came here as a refugee that they don't realize stays on their record. And then whether it be because of the English barrier or just because, you know, they're basically trying to stay right by what they think the officer wants, they say something in their citizenship interview that's counter to what they said in their refugee application or their visa application. And not only does it keep them from becoming a U.S. citizen, it actually bars you from even filing for citizenship for another five years. And then you always have that problem of going back to, well, you know, you told us this time during citizenship that this wasn't the case. And now you're telling us it is the case. So it's a constant back and forth. So I just think the biggest mistake people make is that they kind of underestimate how difficult and how complicated immigration law can be because uh, the officers are not always your friend is the best way I can put it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. That makes sense. Why, why do you think that it is in the simple process. I mean, why isn't it easier? Why has it become such a convoluted mess? I think part of the reason this becomes such a mess is just because there's a lot of inconsistencies. I mean, there are obviously policy memos out and you know, there, there are field books that the officers are supposed to follow. But first off, I think that when they hire new people, particularly in USCIS, which stands for US Citizenship and Immigration Services, it used to be INS or Immigration and Naturalization Service. 
but when they hire new officers, I don't know if they're not properly trained or if they're just trained too quickly. A lot of them just really don't process things as they should. Like I recently had a case where I actually had what was called an H-1B visa, which is a type of work visa, where USCI moved to withdraw the original approval that we gotten three years ago. And then I filed an extension two weeks after that, which was the exact same petition and it got approved. So I just don't think there's consistency amongst the officers and amongst what they're taught, which is what creates a problem for so many people. So... That makes sense. Is do you think it's they're over? It's not just the training. Do you think that they're overloaded? Do you think that they can't handle the volume of people who are trying to come into the country yet? That is absolutely one of the biggest factors that comes into consideration. They get more and more applications and they don't have enough people to deal with them. And particularly a lot of cases are falling further back because people who are applying for green cards or even certain types of visas actually have to report for fingerprinting in order to get their applications processed. Those used to come about a month after you filed an application. But now with COVID obviously slowing things down, there are people waiting eight, nine months just to get fingerprinted. And the number keeps getting lower and lower because they already stopped doing it for about two months. And now they have to limit the amount of people that come into the service centers every day. So that's something that's backloading it. And I think it's just further adding to all the problems that all these officers are facing. And, you know, it's forcing them to try to move quicker, but some of them don't either don't thrive under pressure or in a way to basically just calm it down or buy themselves more time. They'll issue something called a request for evidence. And a request for evidence is basically just asking for more information, but what I think is ridiculous about them is the number of requests for evidence I get for information I've already provided. The amount of times I've received a request for evidence asking for something that I've already given them is preposterous. Wow. So that would certainly make things challenging. How are, how do your clients, I mean, are your, who's an ideal client for you? I mean, I work, as far as the work visas go, I do, I, at least in my office, I exclusively do what are called H-1B visas. H-1B is a specialty occupation, which basically translates to you need a bachelor's degree to do your job. Now there is an annual cap that takes place once every year in April, and that limits the amount of people who can apply. However, there are certain exemptions to that cap, and some of them are places like hospitals or a lot of universities because they're specifically exempt from the cap. So I do a lot of work for local hospitals, local universities, because they bring a lot of people in on work visas, um, whether they be to do fellowships or residencies or for universities that hire a lot of their professors that way. So for me, those are pretty good clients. And then how are those folks, how are they finding you? I'd like to think that they find me very knowledgeable. And one thing that I'll, everyone tells me is that I make sure to get back to people when they request to get, get for them to be getting back to. Like I have some people I know who, you know, they'll, they'll call repeatedly or they'll say, I just can't get a hold of my lawyer. I call them, I email them all the time and I just never hear back. I am someone who absolutely makes it my business to make sure that if somebody has a question, I get back to them. And I think that is why my reputation precedes itself. Yeah, that consistency, integrity, all of those things are incredibly important doing what you say you're going to do. Um, how are they finding you specifically? How are they finding the firm? If I'm, are these folks who are coming from another country and they're coming to work or live in Buffalo specifically, or as you mentioned, because it's federal, you can help someone anywhere. So if I was coming from the Philippines and going to work with Texas, how would I find you guys in Buffalo? Well, I mean, obviously, if you search the firm in Google, we're obviously one of the top results. In terms of if you're, if you're trying to search from, you know, all over the country, whether there's word of mouth, which actually word of mouth, I still think is the strongest way of getting people into our firm. 
because I mean, we have people that, you know, they may file for their application in the Buffalo area, but then, you know, a couple of years down the road, they move to Texas and you'll get a call from somebody in San Antonio saying, Hey, I know this person. And they happened to move to San Antonio a month ago and they told me to call you. So it's amazing what word of mouth can still do these days, even with technology, what it is. Absolutely. And what are, what, I mean, given all the success you've achieved, I mean, what would you say your biggest challenge is now? I mean, my biggest challenge, especially being an immigration lawyer, usually is the language barrier, just because, I mean, I I speak minor amounts of some different languages, but I mean, you know, I speak a few sentences, maybe a few paragraphs of Spanish. I speak some minor Polish, but I'm not fluent in either of them. So typically our clients have to bring in translators. And if the translator either misses something or they misinterpret something, it can basically change the course of everything you're doing. Or another problem that we sometimes have is, you know, as many times as you may tell your clients something, they may speak the English language, but they might not 100% comprehend it. So you can tell them over and over about the importance of something. Sometimes you can tell they're just not fully grasping it. And so the real challenge is making sure that they actually understand what you're trying to get through to them so that they don't create problems that don't need to be created. Absolutely. And then how... Um, talk a little bit, cause I mean, you've got quite a bit of experience, obviously working with other attorneys, um, working with other firms around the country. Talk a little bit about how that process works in terms of, uh, playing together nicely, sharing the sandbox, that kind of stuff. Um, I mean, I know you get r- referrals from other law firms. Right. Yeah. I know, um, even there's another woman who works in the Buffalo area who I get a lot of referrals from because she doesn't take any detained cases. So We've mainly stopped taking detained cases because of, at least unless it's an emergency situation, we haven't been taking as many detained cases just because A, of the pandemic, and B, the detention facility is in Batavia. And I don't know if you've heard or not, but they've actually had numerous outbreaks there. So just for my own personal safety, I've been trying to avoid the facility. But before that all happened, like I said, I used to get all kinds of referrals there. I get all kinds of people who go to other firms and eventually end up coming to us. And... I think it's just a matter of just keeping it professional. You never want to call somebody and say, hey, you screwed up this case, so you better send me the file. Otherwise, you're going to be in trouble. So what you want to do is you want to just say, look, I, you know, I think I may have found an alternate option or you know, I don't know if there was something that was missed. Basically, you just want to make it seem to them like they want to help you because you're helping them as well. Absolutely. And for our folks, what else do you want to share about immigration in your practice that I didn't think to ask? Well, immigration is just a really wide ranging subject. And a lot of people encounter immigration a lot of times in their everyday lives and they just don't think about it. Um, Particularly living in this area, obviously I live and grew up in Buffalo. I've been here pretty much my whole life. Even just going to your doctors, you're basically dealing with immigration because there are all kinds of Canadian doctors who work in hospitals all across the city here who you know either live in Canada and commute every single day or they're here with permanent residency from Canada. And you didn't even think about it being that the Peace Bridge is 10 minutes away, but there are all kinds of immigration issues that come in being that close to the border that uh, a lot of people think, you know, eh, or at least they did think before the pandemic that going to Canada wasn't that big of a deal. But I mean, I know people who can't even get into Canada despite it being 10 minutes away. So it's something that is much more wide ranging, I guess is the best way I can phrase it than most people give it credit for. Yeah, I would agree with that. Other than the border being closed and for essential workers, how has the pandemic, you mentioned the uh, the facility trying not to go there. How else has the pandemic affected your practice? 
Well, it's definitely affected the court part of the practice because obviously you used to have to go to court all the time for every single hearing, unless you filed a specific motion to appear via telephone. And even those, they weren't automatic. They had to be granted by the judge. But in places like Buffalo and Batavia right now, you can actually appear for every single hearing, either telephonically or via WebEx. And that tends to be what I do then because unfortunately... I already said that Batavia had some issues. I know Buffalo Immigration Court has closed at least, I think, two or three times because they've had potential COVID exposure. So even though I like being in a courtroom setting from a safety standpoint, I basically just do everything from my office because I just don't want to go down there. You don't want to risk it when you don't have to. So a lot of it has changed because when you go into courtroom, a lot of the immigration cases, you try to evoke emotion and you try to get your clients, you know, You tell your clients it's okay to cry on the stand. It's okay to show genuine emotion. It's hard to parlay that through a telephone if you're doing everything just over a speakerphone. For sure. For our folks watching and listening who want to learn more about all things Lee and what you're doing, where is the best place for us to send them? Well, you can obviously always go to our website, which is USA Visa, spelled V-I-S-A, dot net. We have some general profiles there. For potential clients, there's even a link on that to fill out an information sheet before you come into the office. That way, you know, you don't have to spend 10, 15 minutes filling everything out before you come in. You can just have it ready when you come in and that maximizes your time to get a consult with us. Um, Anybody who has any questions, my email is on the website, but it's also lsobieski at usavisa.net. Or we can almost always be reached by a telephone at our office, which is 716-634-6500. I'm always willing to hear people and hear people's stories. And that's one of the other cool things about being an immigration lawyer. It's just sort of a perk of the job is just hearing different people's backgrounds and things they've gone through. Just you encounter a lot of people that you wouldn't otherwise encounter in your everyday life. And I just think it's a neat thing. Hey, Ben, there's probably a book in there somewhere of fascinating stories. This has been uh, Seth Green uh, with Lee Sobieski of Burger Burger and Sobieski. Lee, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thanks everybody for watching and listening. We'll talk to you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product, or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet, and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.